JV Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 55 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about better distribution for excess and surplus with Bobby Turan from Pathpoint. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific technologies we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. All right. Greetings and welcome back. Good to see everybody on the show today. With me, of course, this is James Benham. I'm with me, Mr. Rob Galbraith, most interesting man in insurance. Rob, how's it going in beautiful San Antonio, Texas today? It's going, yeah. Um, yeah, springtime is is here. Some would argue summer if you're not from Texas. I've <laughs> gotten into the, <laughs> the 90s. Uh, managed to get my first shot of the, the COVID vaccine yes. uh, yesterday with my family. So yes. interesting process. Arms a bit sore, but uh, yeah, happy to kind of get that. Yeah. Um, Did you do the drive-through? No, it was... It, it, it's kind of funny. So they've been sending texts from the government um, when they have open slots, which is kind of nice. And uh, it turned out that it was like on the other side of town at some senior center or whatever. So we, okay. we drove down there and, you know, they were backed up like an hour. So we stopped at, at Popeye's and grabbed some lunch and we're all fueled up. And Wait, did you get the up. chicken sandwich at Popeye's? Because did, there's a lot of the spicy okay. chicken sandwich. Yes. How does it compare and contrast the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich? Because... It's better in my opinion. It's only the second oh, time I've had it. I know, I know that's controversial, but it's super juicy. It's got tons of breading. I'm sure it is awful from a life insurance perspective. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, I if, need to get my ladder life policy before I. Yeah. If, if like, Rob's life insurance writers uh, <laughs> <laughs> paying attention, just ignore that. Uh, he's not eating the Popeyes chicken sandwich. This is a subject of great debate in Texas, Bobby, is who has the better chicken sandwich. Of course, it's been a national debate. Everyone's trying to roll out a good chicken sandwich. That's hard to hear. Okay. I'm going to have, I've been holding off on trying it because I didn't have a friend actually personally attest to this. Although a bunch of uh, news pubs I read like business insider actually went and tested them side by side and they too declared Popeye's the winner. Uh, So totally not talking about chicken sandwiches today though. We're going to talk about excess and surplus and we're going to do it with Mr. Bobby Turan. Bobby, what's up, buddy? Hey guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you. You're over in uh, Northern California, up in the uh, north, north of the Bay Area. Uh, yes. Thanks for waking up early and and joining the show with us. We super appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and and Bobby, you know, uh, a a Boston guy uh, means he's wicked awesome. Things a wicked pisser. He parks his car in the yard. Now I I. Uh, no one really speaks. Yes, they actually they actually do say that stuff. <laughs> I, I lived there long enough to know that they actually say those things, and it's a wonderful place. I'm actually a big Boston fan, so I'm excited to have uh, Bobby on the show. Before we get started talking with Bobby, um, I just want to remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast. If you're watching on uh, Facebook or Twitter or uh, any other video, uh, Vimeo, wherever you're watching it, you can text geek out to 66866 and make sure you never miss an episode. We'll email it to you every week. So uh, hope you will subscribe and come and, en- and enjoy 
the the podcast and all of our wonderful guests that we've, we've been doing this over a year now, having a lot of fun, having a lot of great discussions around technology and insurance, uh, talking about, you know a lot about automation, right? A lot of automation, a lot about streamlining applications, a lot about using big data and public data sources. Um, we haven't had a show on NFTs yet, although I feel like we should talk like a three-parter on non-fungible tokens just because it's such a popular topic and people are losing their minds uh, over the price of NFTs for for things that, <clears throat> I mean, this is just rampant speculation, Rob, right? I mean, I mean, you know, it, NBA, the NBA was so early to this NFT game and uh, I don't know. Uh, I I think NFTs are useful. I think all block. I think any any, any kind of blockchain or blockchain derivative is useful. But uh, some of these prices that we're seeing, Rob, you got you got to be a little mind blown, huh? Yeah, it is crazy. Um, you know, I try to suspend judgment on anything price related, <laughs> um, but yeah, not not personally investing yet in any uh, NFT. But I agree with you. Like I. I I love the idea of crypto. We know Coinbase is going out with their IPO. Like, I definitely yeah. think it's a topic worth exploring in the future. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, just kind of, kind of nutty stuff. Pay attention to Coinbase. If you haven't checked out Voyager, you can pay, you can look at, look at that. Um, there's, there's some fascinating things going on in crypto, but there's also fascinating things going on back here in excess and surplus. This, this is a really important um, part of the insurance business, <laughs> like, incredibly important part of the insurance business. Uh, so Bobby, uh, before we jump in and talk about that, I want to talk about you. Um, again, you're, you're Boston guy. Uh, you, you went to, uh, got a, got a bachelor's in econ from McGill. So tell, tell me about, you know, when you're growing up as a, as a young boy in Boston, uh, you know, uh, looking up to Ben Affleck and all, <laughs> all these other guys. No, when you're growing up as a boy in Boston, what what did you want to do, and how did you end up doing this? I was always interested in being a business owner, and uh, at the time, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, nobody in my family is a business owner. My my parents are both teachers, and uh, so very different uh, background. Um, and when I graduated college in 2008, um, more and more normal people like myself were starting startups in the Boston area and in, in lots of places. Um, and had been going on long before that too, but, uh, that's when I first became aware of it. And, uh, a lot of those startups were based on the internet. And what was exciting to me was that, you know, folks were starting a online store for, whatever product, but they would have no experience in selling anything or certainly not that thing or doing anything online. And just the fact that it was kind of open to everyone was intriguing to me. So I started basically hanging out around incubators and uh, other software entrepreneurs and uh, just kind of got pulled into the industry and uh, haven't really looked back since then. Yeah, and and you actually spent some time with some uh, venture firms. It looks like, and you were an e entrepreneur in residence, and then you you were an associate. So it looks like you actually spent some time funding companies. Is that correct? Uh, well, funding, yeah, I guess it, it wasn't money coming out of my pocket, but I was no, out of your firms. Yeah, two yeah. successful investors, right? Doing uh, doing a lot of the busy work, getting to learn how companies are evaluated. Um, and just spending time digging into the problems that early stage company founders face, which was frankly fascinating. And uh, 
I'd studied finance in college, so I was interested in the kind of the intersection of investing and startups. And uh, as I spent more and more time with the companies, I just realized that I was very interested in being an operator. And, uh, and so then transitioned into a role where I tried to incubate an idea on my own. Yeah. So you've, uh, how did you arrive at insurance? Like what, what about this industry? What about the, um, I mean, I just, just an FYI Pathpoint. So it's pathpoint.com. Uh, you guys buy non-admitted policies online immediately, right? That's the, that's the, the, the entire, the entire, I just summed up the whole thing for you. We're going to, we're going to deep dive on what that really means, but how did you arrive at this particular problem statement? Was it one of the investments that you looked at when you were on the investing side or was it, you know, what, what, what about this really, really tweaked your interest? It wasn't, you know, originally baked into my GPS, so to speak. It wasn't on my roadmap. If, if I went back a couple of years, we've been, myself and my co-founders now have been building this company now for uh, about four years. And if you went back four years in a month, four years in two or three months, I, I wouldn't be telling you that, you know, insurance is is sort of what I want to spend the rest of my life working on, just because I didn't really know about insurance. And as me and my team got introduced to the industry in more depth, we just found it fascinating. And one thing that we saw over and over again was that it seemed like the process was super manual, <laughs> inefficient, and uh, we just felt like there wasn't a ton of software being used. So that felt like a good entry point for, uh, you know, folks like us who didn't really know much about insurance, but who had a good idea of like how to build and sell software. Um, so it was really the leveraging what we were good at and something that we didn't know, but that was interesting and then really just got started and, uh, just kept making progress from there. Yeah. It's really, uh, <laughs> A recurring theme on this podcast is we we saw a lot of manual tasks being performed and not a lot of automation and not a lot of use of data and a whole bunch of menial, tedious work. Uh, and in particular, all of that sums up into a super non-ideal customer experience, right? I right. mean, you have to fill out a bunch of Word document or PDF forms and then wait forever to get pricing and then binding as well takes time. And it just it just seems like an incredible amount of waste in the entire the entire insurance ecosystem, um, unnecessary waste, right? And so you have a choice. I'm, I'm curious. You have, you have a choice when you're starting a company to either start a software company or and, and sell to insurance companies and help them do this, or you have a choice to actually become the insurance company, either the broker, the MGA, or the carrier, right? Those are kind of your... That's like your your mon you, <laughs> you know, like you can go be a broker, you can go be an MGA and, and have power of the pen, or you can go actually raise a ton of money and be a carrier. Um, so you almost have like four choices, right? Just be a technology vendor or be one of the other three. What led you um, down the, the broker path of being a surplus lines broker? Why'd you pick that instead of just being a technology supplier or going down the MGA route? Well, from the start, our customer was always the carrier. And the sort of the way that happened was that uh, a lot of our earliest conversations were with participants from each of those buckets that you just listed. Distribution, delegated underwriting, carrier-based underwriting, whatever you'd call it, and also the software vendors. And uh, you're totally right. There's a lot of inefficiency and there's still 
even with a lot of good companies out there, there's a huge amount of improvement to be made still. And uh, we knew that we wanted to have a role in the distribution chain in order to meaningfully, or sorry, I should say the value chain in order to meaningfully bring about some value and some change. And so we looked at those options, like you said, and being a software vendor uh, just felt like it was not involved enough. And uh, it would have really changed just sort of the nature of our business, like different sales cycle, different types of personnel. And while that's closer to what we, myself and my co-founders have as backgrounds, we were just very interested in trying to improve the distribution. And in excess and surplus lines, the distribution is uh, super concentrated in just a few brokers. And so there's this like very long tail of a lot of other regional brokers who are constantly clawing to keep up and then eventually just sort of get bought up. To us, that seemed like the more dynamic part of the industry where we could play a role. Plus, we're not underwriters. And so to assume a role uh, as an MGA or as a carrier would just have been a much bigger leap for us. Yeah, you would have had to do some pretty senior experienced hires <laughs> to bring to bring some talent in on that. And then you're still you're taking a good bit more risk as well, you know, and, and just liability. Right. Um, exactly. And, and so it's a, the broker path is certainly an easier starting point. Yeah, it's easier in the sense that it's like, you know, you basically offer shelf space or you offer a store and then you get these carriers to give you their products um, once you've built some some relationships and trust with them. Um, but distribution is not easy either. I mean, brokers work really, really hard to get coverage for their clients. And like we're saying, because it is quite manual and inefficient, um, a lot of that inefficiency falls on the agents. And so, you know, you mentioned buying non-admitted policies online, just sort of the language we use on our website is very much focused towards independent retail agents and uh, making it easier for them to basically get coverage for their clients. Yeah, get it quickly, less work. Less I mean, work, more option, ultimately lower cost. Yeah, and that that's something that a lot of brokers really struggle with is there's a big, big, big sector of the market, big, big sector of the market that's not very profitable to write for them right. because of the amount of time it takes to collect the data and get the quotes. And you're really just kind of playing the odds that hopefully those customers will keep getting bigger and keep buying more insurance and buy more more lines from you. And eventually it'll work out. <laughs> like eventually you'll make enough money to justify all the time. And so a lot of brokers I've found, they take the business, they don't do a great job on the business because they don't have you know, the amount of time it takes. And for them, if they don't have enough companies pop up into the larger se segment, they don't take the time. Uh, on the on the, the the smaller accounts to keep cultivating them into large accounts, and so they end up running a lot of business off. Be, and, and it and it all comes back to how much time it takes them to to process quotes and binding. I mean, really, if you look look at it, if they if they were more efficient and effective at collecting data from their clients and then getting pricing from the market and then binding the you know the the, the core function of a broker, if they had if they really shrunk that down, they could provide a, a great level of service to more of their clients. Right. I mean, you end up really with some subpar service being delivered to smaller accounts. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've seen over and over again is that there's this spectrum of size of insurance account. And based on that size, there's an increasing amount of premium that's associated with each of these accounts. Yep. Not necessarily more complicated to place a small commercial account than it is to place a middle market account, or even in some cases, 
a large market account. It's complicated in the sense that you need different carrier relationships and you need a different customer base. But like you're saying, if you're a local insurance agency, um, it can be tough for you to move up market. And so you kind of have to just be very efficient at the transactional stuff if you want to be profitable and grow your business. Um, and that's really what we saw as the big opportunity. And that's why we're at least initially focused on what's going on at the smaller end of the, of the uh, spectrum in terms of the size of these accounts, because it isn't necessarily more work, but it is necessarily less money to the agent. And so they're further incentivized to be as quick as possible. Awesome. So let's, uh, I love Rob's question he's got going up because uh, it kind of breaks this down into some more, um, more explainable terms for some of our audience. So Rob. Yeah, Bobby. So um, I really want to hone in on the, you know, we talk about ENS or excess and surplus, talk about non-admitted markets, and maybe you can just give our audience a sense for the types of exposure, the types of risk, right? So these are not things that are typically approved by a state regulator. This is not your traditional commercial auto, general liability, et cetera. So maybe you could just... Um, you know, who are the types of carriers on your platform and what are the types of exposures? Um, obviously, you know, part of the challenge of ENS is, right, it can be a lot of things, things like Uber that started out, right? It didn't fit in a traditional model. And so they went to the ENS route and became you know, huge, right? Um, so maybe you can just give our audience kind of a flavor of what, what type of risks are we talking about here? Sure. So the excess and surplus lines industry plays this critical role. And uh, like we were saying earlier, it's um, it's this industry that very much operates in the, in sort of like, I like to think of it as operating in the background of the commercial and, and personal lines insurance industry. Most people don't think about risks going to the ENS industry. Um, but ENS in a way is really where a lot of insurance was born, right? Cause one of the biggest players in ENS is Lloyd's of London. And that's where, uh, insurance was originated. And when, underwriters were taking bets effectively on whether a ship would make it across the ocean or not. <laughs> By the way, wouldn't you have, wouldn't you love go back in time to this, to this coffee house <laughs> and just, I would. And just be, and just be a fly on the wall and watch this completely unregulated industry <laughs> basically gamble on these boats. Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even an industry then, like you said, right. It was, it was a coffee shop where you could literally go, uh, get some action on a boat that's uh, that's going across the ocean. You didn't have to know about boats or know anything else, but you just wanted to go be with your buddies and and uh, do something to pass the time, I guess. But the market today plays an incredibly important role for risks that are more distressed than other risks, risks that are um, riskier than other risks. And uh, I think when a lot of people think about like Lloyd's and they and if they have some knowledge of ENS, they think about the super risky, right? They think about the the complete one complete end of the spectrum. They're like, oh, it's only, you know, we were talking about sports earlier. It's like it's only a baseball, it's only a pitcher's arm that gets insured in the ENS market, or or something like that. And and uh, the reality is, in the ENS industry is supporting a lot of businesses that are all around us. If you're a bakery, um, you probably don't need ENS insurance. If you're a bakery within a mile of the ocean probably need ENS insurance because you have less control. Carriers have less control over what could happen to you within that one mile. But from the perspective of a business owner, they don't really know 
oh, the risk is going to be ENS or not. They don't really necessarily make decisions to start their business or not on that basis. But to get coverage for that type of risk, the traditional retail agents have to work with surplus lines agents or wholesale brokers. And um, that just adds additional process, which means more manual paperwork, more time, less efficiency, um, and ultimately making it more difficult for the agent to give their their client what they need. So we focus on ENS risk existing into two very, very big buckets, sort of the PNC industry and then the professional lines industry. Within PNC, we're laser focused these days within general liability and specifically thinking about businesses like contractors, lessers risk only, vacant land. These are the types of businesses that go to the ENS industry in a non-pandemic environment. And in the last 12 months, the ENS industry has played an even more important role because a lot of admitted carriers were pulling back from business that they would normally write because there was so much turmoil in the markets. And that was really an opportunity for the ENS market to step in and say, those are the types of risks that we're happy to write. Risks that have less underwriting data and legacy associated with them. Risks that could potentially be more loss-bearing, but that ultimately makes sense for that carrier based on sort of the profile of their underwriting DNA. Um, so we make some of those PNC products available as, as well as um, property or catastrophe exposed property. That's another common one. So here in California, if you have wildfire or earthquake insurance, those are examples of ENS insurance on the property side. If you live in Florida, if you live in Texas, you need wind coverage or flood coverage due to the environment. And, um, and then on the non-PNC side, things like cyber insurance, which is a very hot topic right now, professional miscellaneous professional liability, um, DNO, other forms of ENO, coverages like that tend to fall within the ENS industry. Y'all do a really good job, by the way, of really clearly explaining who you are on your website. Oh, <laughs> I just, I want to, I want to congratulate you. Not every company that we look at has such a a clear, distinct mission. I just want to read this. This is just a, a statement from your website: opening a new avenue to non-admitted insurance as a surplus lines brokerage, licensed countrywide and cover holder at Lloyd's of London. Pathpoint distributes admitted and non-admitted products to independent retail agents on behalf of best-in-class non-admitted carriers across multiple lines of business. I mean, uh, so th- that that's the the summary. But but let's let's talk about the carrier part of that sentence. I have talked about this in a, some previous episodes. I've recently, I'm a pilot, so I have to get coverage for me and, and my plane, and, and it, it gets complicated. The aviation market is really, really complex. And I'm guessing, I don't see you playing in aviation on your site, but I'm guessing you don't you don't play in the aviation market. It, it's a it's a really weird, unique little niche of the, uh, of the insurance business, and there's fewer carriers. There's three fewer carriers than there were a year and a half ago. I have recently uh, become personally aware of how important your broker's relationship with the carriers is, um, because I I got some really awful quotes, and they they all say they write with the same carriers, but I got some really terrible quotes from one guy, and then I went to a different guy, and he had a much better relationship with the underwriters, and he was able to get me far better pricing and really sell the risk better. Want me talk talk about that because we, we talk a lot about technology on this this show, right? And 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 Rob has a a question come up about, about tech and and it, it's a it's a really good question that I'd love to geek out on the the what's under the covers. Despite if you take all the tech aside, how are you forming better relationships with these carriers so that they're giving more attention or 
better pricing or better coverage or more time or, or giving it more credence to the, to the risk that's, that's coming through you rather than everybody else? How, how are you tackling that? I think one of the things that we have going for us um, is just that digital trading and selling insurance products more efficiently through the use of technology is on the mind of every insurance carrier. And they're all looking to reduce cost. You know, the ENS industry, because it has that additional level of distribution through the surplus lines um, channel, has a particularly high um, expense ratio, just generally speaking, higher than traditional business because there isn't as much distribution consideration that has to be baked into it. Because it's a top priority, we're able to get a pretty good audience with even very senior level folks at these carriers. We absolutely spend real time and money. I myself spend a lot of time building personal relationships with our carriers. And we started the company almost four years ago. And for the first two and a half years, uh, we really only worked with one carrier who we built a great relationship with um, and whom we really learned about the industry from. And then and only then did we start having conversations with other carriers. But today we have over 10 carriers with whom we have appointments whose products are available through the platform. And some of those carriers I've been talking to for four years, and they've really only come on the platform recently because it's that relationship building aspect of it. Are they happier with the quality? I mean, there's got to be some, and, and you know, I've worked, talked to enough underwriters, right? That there's got to be some of this is you're, you're hopefully preparing a better submission, right? Like a better quality submission like the the data you're providing the format you're providing it the completion the the completeness the quality of of the data in the form is, is that what this is coming down to like they're just seeing a much better quality um submission coming to them so they're willing to spend some more time on it yeah exactly right and again back to what you were saying on the spectrum of products from small to large and how agents don't want to spend a bunch of time on these smaller risks that sentiment is true from the agent all the way through to the carrier. Carriers don't want their underwriters spending time on small risks. And uh, you know the, the common expression is if you touch some of these pieces of business twice, you're already losing money on it. So what happens is because there isn't an efficient way for these carriers to receive submissions, almost 100% of the submission volume in the industry happens just over emails sent to inboxes. So when those emails come into these underwriters, they don't really have a good way to filter through the risks because it's all unstructured data. It's all emails with accord yeah. attachments as a PDF or loss runs or whatever. So an, an underwriter is going to have to open that up. They're going to have to look at the details. So they're spending time on this account. Very, very likely they're going to realize that a key piece of information that they need to underwrite that account is not available because a lot of carriers have different requirements. And so they're going to ping that agent back through the wholesaler and say, hey, looks okay, but I would need to know these three values. And if the wholesaler comes back and only gives them two values, for example. They're, they're done. And the underwriter is going to still have to open that up again and be like, oh, yeah. my guy emailed me and ah, it's only two of the three things I need. Can you get me the third piece? By that point, most wholesalers are going to go, are going to go away because they too don't really want to spend time touching this risk. So there's this like misalignment. And if there was a, a standardized way for them to get the data, like you said, to, to underwrite the business, everyone could be more efficient. But it's tough. It, it's, a, it's a difficult challenge, for sure. Fascinating. Uh, let's talk about the tech, Rob. Yeah, so uh, I think you've outlined some of the, the challenges really well, Bobby. But 
what what did you do at Pathpoint? You know, how did you help solve this problem? I, I think about, you know, we mentioned Lloyd's of London. Uh, I've been to the insurance library in Boston, which is an amazing place. Yes, there is such a thing as the insurance library. Uh, and they do a, a wonderful job up there. And they actually have like an old underwriter desk, right? Um, from Lloyd's of London there kind of on display. And that's what we think about. And I know it was a big deal during the pandemic when when Lloyd's rent remote for a time and they kind of have their blueprint on how they're going to get digital and automate over time. And, and I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, initial positive reviews, but also some skepticism that this is an area of the world that will ever, you know, become digital or automated. So yeah, d- d- how did you crack the net? You know, everyone, yes, wants that streamlined process, but they also want what they want to evaluate risks, right? And we think about them as being somewhat bespoke and special and, you know, you can't automate away the underwriter. So yeah, how did you crack the nut? What what specific things did you have to implement from a tech standpoint to uh, enable your solution? Yeah, so we looked at exactly what you were saying. What's the process for how these agents are placing the business today and how could we make that more efficient? I don't know if it's super innovative, what, what we did from, from the outside. I think under the covers is where it gets a lot more compelling. But basically, we looked at other sectors of insurance, not just commercial or PNC. On the personal line side, you know, homeowners, auto, life, most of these insurance products are available through a single point of submission, digital platform, a SEMC platform, whatever you'd call it. And uh, most insurance carriers have their own portal, which is a way for them to digitally receive risk information Typically, what they'll do is they'll put their underwriting uh, details on the other end of that platform, and when the risk comes in, it bounces back with great information. So that's essentially what we did for the excess and surplus lines industry. And to date, nobody is really offering that to directly to retail agents. So to just clarify a bit more about the insurance part of what we do, which is important to the tech part, we are a licensed surplus lines agent. We're licensed in all 50 states. We service accounts once they've bound. So we calculate surplus lines taxes. We make sure the accounts are in good standing. We're a cover holder at Lloyd's. So agents working with Pathpoint can bring business into Lloyd's today through our digital platform. But that all kind of sits in the background. All of these retail agents that we work with have to do is go into their web browser. They don't have to download anything and they can just enter their risk information from a single application and then we've done all the mapping and business logic on the back end to route this information to the different carriers and return quotes from multiple ENS carriers to retail agents. And that's something that no one else is offering these retail agents right now. So we have this, this differentiated value proposition. Um, we know that there are competitors out there who are working on this kind of thing. And we think that's great because that's going to make more carriers want to digitize their products. It's going to make it table stakes for this type of business to be traded digitally. And uh, those are that's a rising tide that will raise that will raise our ship as well. But to, I guess to more tactically answer your question, we really just got started with you know a single product that we thought could be made that, that we could streamline. We looked at how many questions are asked if you go to multiple different carriers. Can we streamline that and just give agents a web form they can fill out? And then we built some tech around it to make it easier for them, so they can drag and drop. We looked at like what are the key parts of the process and the pain points all agents were telling us. And, and we do everything we build is based on what agents tell us as far as feedback. We try not to make any assumptions ourselves. That's where we get into trouble. So it's 
I don't like to spend all day long rekeying the same information over and over into different portals. I don't like having to wait days, sometimes a week plus, only to hear back from uh, my wholesaler that, sorry, no luck. Like, why couldn't they have told me that sooner? So I wasn't chasing them on this, on this, especially on this small account. I don't like having to maintain all of the records associated with a submission across my email, my text message, a napkin where I wrote something down at lunch. I want it to all be in kind of one place. And so a digital platform was just an elegant way to do that. And again, it was working in other parts of the industry. And our vision was, if we can be the digital platform, we effectively become the digital exchange for this type of business. And that's sort of the big vision uh, for, for what it grows into as we add more products and more capabilities. Following up on that, on that, Bobby, I'm just kind of curious, like what is on the roadmap? We focused a lot on, on non-admitted, but I believe you do some admitted products as well. And, and yeah, just kind of curious, like, um, it seems like you're, you're just getting started, but you know, you kind of talked about expanding your carrier relationships and, and new products. So, um, I guess, where do you see that going over the next three to five years? Yeah. Over the next, uh, you're right that we do offer some admitted, um, coverages. Those are, offerings from carriers that are non-admitted in some states, but then admitted in others. And one of the things that makes commercial insurance, all insurance really challenging is that it's regulated at the state level, as you guys know. And so every state has different that's regulations. Like, that's like the core problem in the United States in general <laughs> insurance. Yeah, it's one, it's one of the big headaches, right? We, and, we could uh, just make the entire InsureTech Geek podcast about why state regulation is a massive challenge for, for any progress at all in this industry. It's not only is, is it the case that it's state regulated, right? Four states, New York, California, Florida, and Texas. I mean, that's over 50% of all ENS dollars right there. And, and they just have very different ways of operating. And, and uh, But anyway, our focus is, is really exclusively and has been exclusively since day one on the non-admitted or ENS market. There's a lot of competition on the admitted side for things like BOP and COMP and making it more streamlined to place that business, which makes a ton of sense. There should be solutions around that, but that's just not what we're focused on. We'll continue to try to make the best product available always we think about it in terms of what are the products we need to offer. And I think of products like contractor general liability, LRO on a monoline or package basis, monoline property, you know, pretty basic categories. And then how many carriers do we really need to offer coverage from to offer a comprehensive solution to the agent so that they're going to have options they can show their clients. So the roadmap is really to, to deepen what we're doing within the segments that were live and to add a couple other key segments within PNC and, and, non, and uh, non-PNC lines of coverage. That's fascinating. So let's talk about the actual, like the guts. Uh, no emails are being used to, co- to communicate with the carriers. Are you still having to package some of this up and, send, and email some of the packages out? Yeah, absolutely. We, we have to do that. 100% we do that. I mean, we don't do it 100% of the time. And this is true of like all early stage software companies is there's always some degree of human intervention that's happening behind the scenes. And that a lot of people, when they see yeah. what we're doing, they can react with like, well, hang on, that's my job you're talking about. Like my job is to, to move these papers around. Like is what you're saying is that you're going to take my job away. And, and the answer is genuinely, and I realize everyone hears me say this is going to say, well, of course that guy's going to say that. That's really not the objective. (laughs) The objective is to make you better at 
the actually challenging parts of your job, like making go no go decisions on a risk, like following up on a complicated billing issue, like doing whatever you have to do to make the coverage needs of your clients, to make sure that the coverage needs of your clients are met. You should not be spending 50% of your time shuffling papers. Um, when we were first getting started, I went to the offices of a very large MGA that is far and away the market leader in a particular category of risk. And you know they're heralded as being so efficient, so tech forward. And uh, when I went to their office, they had three floors to the office. And I said, you know, the, the manager walked me around and he was like, here's our underwriting floor. And I was like, great. What do these underwriters do m- most of the time? And he looked at me and like, without any hesitation, he's like, well, they spend at least 50% of their time just opening emails and re-entering the information into our system. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why, why not build a system that you give to the folks so that your folks would get 50% of their time back? He thought about it and, and it was obvious that like he's thought about that before, but he, but he just really didn't have a good answer. He's like, well, that's, you know, it's complicated and, you know, we don't really know where to get started. And back to your question, we, <laughs> that's, we absolutely that's, connect the that's dots. That's so mind blowing. I'm sorry. You just like, you draw fifth, half of their time to spent re data from email. And this is the market leader in that particular line of coverage. They write several hundred million dollars a year in that type of exposure. And yeah, that's just the norm. And, uh, now, mind you, they're doing a lot of bigger placements, so there's a lot more meat on the bone in each of those transactions. But even on the small stuff, um, there's a huge amount of intervention. Our goal is that we don't have to use emails for doing that type of for doing that type of quoting. And you know, some some players in this space, like it, basically comes down to almost being like a religious decision as an online distributor of product. You can either decline everything that doesn't fit the box. So you only rate me automatically, or you're on the other side, you sort of have a very general definition. You'll kind of take a look at anything or it's somewhere in between. And we constantly, you know, as getting started, we have to give a good experience to those agents. We have to kind of go and and do more manual work than we would ultimately like to be doing, but that's how we build that initial report with the agents. Yeah, that's that's uh... not to forget one other thing that I think is important. And this is something I tell folks all the time is there's a lot of great companies out there building better, smarter ways to get data. So like companies that will use drones to more effectively look at like what's the quality of roofs on yeah. property that's being underwritten. One of the that's great. And that absolutely has to exist. And the fact that, you know, most flood insurance in the world and the country, at least, is still underwritten based on dated flood maps, you know, tells you kind of everything you need to know. The reality, though, is that the majority of carriers who I have interacted with are not necessarily thinking, I mean, they're thinking about, but they're not set up today to plug in really advanced data into how they work. It's just not how their formulas are set up. And they would basically have to redo their formulas. And at the end of the day, like that's what underwriting is, right? It's evaluation and assessment of a risk. So um, as much as we would like to be able to only send things digitally, again, because this is ENS, things are just not black and white. A huge amount of the business is just sort of in this gray area. And uh, that's, not as, that's not like a yes, no question. There's always going to be some, some dialogue. So we hope to minimize that as much as possible. But my guess is that over the next several years, there's always going to be a place where we have to sort of 
go outside of the box, so to speak, to make the coverage actually, to make the transaction happen. Sure. And, you know, mind you, I've spent the last two decades in JB Knowledge building proprietary in-house software for carriers and brokers and TPAs and PBMs, uh, helping them facilitate these transactions. A lot of them really don't like how email heavy their business is. They, they really don't. And and the last few years, there's been a big awakening uh, in a lot of their minds about dr- trying to dramatically reduce the amount of manual rework that's being done, uh, re-entry, re-keying of data. It's really quite quite absurd. It's all driven by you're you're right a, a state driven uh, regulatory structure and a lack of any technical standards whatsoever. You know, it's uh, the, the the fact that a PDF form and a court is still the de facto standard for who has what insurance uh, is is you know a, at least a court exists, right? I mean, because we 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 work in other countries where there is no adherence to a court, and in those countries, it's just a free for all trying to figure out and interpret all your documents. So it, it, it's, real, it's really fascinating. The good news for all of us technologists is it creates an enormous amounts of opportunity for us to come right. in and deliver an enormous amount of value because there's so much low-hanging fruit. You know, when, ha- when half of a person's time is spent rekeying data and really talk about the mo- one of the most important roles in the whole damn company. And, and those people are, that, that's, that's why it really does blow my mind when they say, you know, you're trying to eliminate my job. No, no. Um, no, we'd like you to write a lot more business. <laughs> right. we'd, we'd like to keep the same amount of people and write a lot more business because they, they're passing up on good risk all the time because of data reentry. And they, they can have so much more profit. It's, it's really, really astounding. Rob, what you got? Yeah, no, I, I, I love what both of you guys are, are going on this. And um, you're right. In fact, it's funny. I'm reading a book. Uh, right now about automation in the 1960s, if you can believe it, and this fear that automation uh, was going to take everyone's job. And I guess this was an issue in like the presidential campaigns for, you know, Kennedy and Nixon and things like that. So that just kind of goes to show you that we're really a long way off from uh, a lot of those considerations. Um, in fact, there was a big uh, newspaper strike when uh, the New York Times uh, bought the first IBM mainframe computer and they had to like fortify the floors in the building because this thing was so heavy right? to be able to bring it in and all that. And they were saying that like people didn't get newspapers for like three months because all the, the you know, the union, it wasn't just the Times with the Post and, and others were going in there. And it was all the, you know, the typesetters and all that. They were all worried about automation taking away their their jobs. Yeah. And certainly, you know, you've seen the decline of newspaper and, and you know, people get their news differently and things like that. But yeah, I mean, this has been just such a long running concern. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, we know we're a graying industry. We know a lot of people are retiring. We know we don't have the young people entering our industry that, um, you know, are going to be able to replace every single one of those people. So we definitely need the efficiencies that technology are going to bring just from that kind of natural attrition. And oh, by the way, when I talk to you know, college students and others, um, if you were to introduce them to the job that 50% is re-keying, they are going to walk out the door of your enterprise very, very quickly and, and move somewhere else. So yeah, I, I think these things can absolutely kind of coexist, right? These technological efficiencies and improvements, and, and yet you're still going to need uh, the expertise that people have built over the years because you know, it is a specialized industry, particularly as we've been talking about, Bobby, in, in the non-admitted world. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I think it's just fascinating. And I love the fact that, 
you know, you've kind of indicated, Bobby, that it sounds like you're not having to do a lot of convincing uh, of folks when you're introducing Pathpoint to them, that they're almost coming to you to seek out the solution, or, or certainly when you are reaching out, um, that you're finding receptive receptive ears. I don't know if that's you know, been changing over time or, uh, you know, if you still get resistance from the and the retail agents or the, the carriers at all, or if everyone kind of gets it, they're just looking for that easy way to, to digitize and you're the solution that they've been looking for already. Well, we hope that we're the solution that they've been looking for and we're constantly trying to evaluate and keep ourselves honest uh, you know, on whether or not that's true. For the retail agents, there's no cost to use PathPoint. There's no minimum placement amounts required. We pay you commission when you buy in business, just like any other wholesaler, and we pay competitive commissions. Um, not to mention that it's faster and easier and, and all those other things that come with it. So the sell to retail agents is pretty straightforward. It's There's no risk to using this. It's going to make your life better. And you haven't had this before. And then, you know, if you make a submission into PathPoint with a non-admitted submission as a retail agent, you can submit within a minute or two and you get a bindable quote back instantly, right? So that same submission, if it was being placed in the most advanced non-pathpoint way today, the fastest you're going to get a bindable quote is maybe a couple hours if it's a fire drill, but for 95% of submissions, it's going to take days or maybe even a couple weeks for like a thousand or $2,000 premium policy. So the sell to agents is pretty straightforward, but we're always trying to find new ways to engage with agents and bring them onto the platform. For the last year, you know, wholesalers trip typically a lot of insurance agents in the commercial sector. They'll they'll get a, a book of maps for those who's listening who knows what a book of maps is, and they'll get into a rented car and they'll drive around to different insurance agencies and they'll say, "Hey, here's what we have to offer. How can we work together?" And we've done a lot of that onboarding remotely via calls like the Zoom calls and demos and things like that. On the other hand, carriers, it's a, it's a different story. You know, this is not like this is not an industry where you have thousands of carriers, right? It's a small universe. And really, when you boil it down, there's just a couple dozen that write the vast majority of all the business. Um, and those carriers have other people, other distributors knocking on their doors. And one of the things we really are always thinking about is how can we message what we're doing even more clearly to folks? Because they hear, oh, you're ENS, but you're a digital platform, and they just haven't heard that. So they're like, so do I have to get my wholesaler to use you guys? Or like, how does it work? And uh, that's something that we're always trying to improve. But generally, you know, I can, I've only been in the ENS industry now for about four years, and I've seen huge changes in the attitudes of carriers and agents towards this type of thing, um, even just over the last year or two. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Hopefully, this podcast will help you. Good yeah, ho hopefully so. Uh, and, and guys, thank great discussion, Bobby. Really appreciate you uh, you you diving down the uh, the rabbit hole with us on this uh, sure. this topic. We do have two news stories that that Rob's brought to the table today. I want him to cover before we wrap up. Rob, what you got? Yeah. So uh, first one is funding, and, and it's been a continual theme, James. That you know we saw a dip in Q2 right when the pandemic hit, but it really picked up in Q3, Q4. Continues. You know the numbers haven't come in from from Q1, and obviously we just started Q2 in, in 2021. But uh, Clearcover uh, announced this week that they've raised a 200 million dollar uh, Series D round. So uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, Clearcover uh, basically sells auto insurance online and. Uh, one of the things that I love uh, that their companies talked about is this idea of negative innovation, taking out all the stuff that you don't need of saying, hey, auto insurance is actually a 
personal auto, pretty simple product. Like we're not going to spend a ton of money, millions of dollars, multi-millions of dollars on you know, advertising our flow and the gecko and all that, right? And we're only going to provide you what you need. And we're going to try to be a, a low cost provider. I kind of liken them to the Southwest Airlines uh, of, uh, of auto insurance. So congratulations to the team at, at ClearCover on, on the Series D round. And then Again, we're starting to see InsurTechs acquiring other InsurTechs. Uh, so uh, Friss, uh, which is based in the Netherlands and does a lot with uh, fraud detection and AI uh, on the claim space, they've acquired Terrain Labs to expand their underwriting capabilities. And so Terrain Lab uh, provides a lot of uh, third-party data as well as artificial intelligence uh, to help from submissions and other things that we've been talking about. And so I you know, just find this trend uh, fascinating, again, not new in any way, but just, uh, you know, continuing this trend of more mature insurtechs uh, joining forces through M&A activity to get even uh, bigger, stronger, uh, offer more. And so I think it just speaks to the resilience of uh, the insurtech world and they're here to stay. Sure does. And uh, they're, they're here to stay and they're maturing. Uh, and it's uh, they're certainly uh, many of them are edging into much larger markets and having a much, much bigger impact. Um, and so it's uh, exciting to watch, uh, having having uh, observed the space for many, many, many years uh, to, to see that uh, there's fundamental corners of the market that are that are that are transforming now, not just the uh, not just the outskirts. So uh, re- really, really, really uh, exciting. Well, Bobby, uh, thank you for joining us today and I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you both very much. And uh, I'll be rooting for your Patriots, and they have a good year this year, just like I'll be rooting for my Saints. Uh, you know, that, that, that's, uh, it's uh, good, good to root for your hometown teams, right? Well, Patriots have a lot of room to improve in this season, so uh, it shouldn't be too hard for them to do better. But, yeah, yeah no, thanks very much for having me on. This was a pleasure. And uh, look forward to keeping in touch with you guys as, uh, as we grow. Awesome. And uh, Rob Galbraith, as always, thank you very much, sir. Always great to be on with you guys, James and Bobby. It's a pleasure having you on this week. Great. And thank you. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge. It's jbknowledge.com. All about technology. It's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, jamesbenham.com, with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonaro, the creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time. <laughs>